Welcome to the Indian Newsling Podcast. Welcome, Andrew Little, Minister for Immigration, Minister of Financial Desires, GSCS, and many other portfolios. It's a pleasure to have you with Thank us. You, nice to You've be been here. a long-time friend to Indian Newslink. Mm. Uh, uh, the election pitch is going on with very feverish pitch now. Uh, tell us, give us an opening statement, Andrew, so that we can ask you a few questions. Yeah, I think look, this, all elections are about choices. Um, we've made it clear. Um, where we see the next steps going, particularly in relation to immigration. Um, we've made the pledge about our super visa, our 10-year multi-entry visa, for particularly for parents and grandparents of migrant families here. And we've also talked about um, a one-off regularisation for those who've been here but on expired visas for 10 years or more. Um, and we know there's still work to do to tweak our total immigration settings right. and for that reason we think it's very important that we have a government policy statement that sets out the underpinning values and principles of immigration. What does New Zealand want to achieve with its immigration settings as a small country reliant on people from overseas um, to work here and support families here and we think that would be a very important development to make. Why has immigration become suddenly a subject of interest for almost every political party? I remember as the leader of the opposition sometime in 2011, you used to say that we have to be very careful about whom we take, etc. when you were leading the party. Suddenly there seems to be a softening of attitude towards migrants and immigration portfolios. Why is that, Andrew? Is that what people are telling you? Well, two things. I mean, I think New Zealand still has to be careful about the way we manage immigration. We're a small country, 5.2 million people. Um, we know there's a lot of people from other parts of the world who would like to come here. We're a country that's dependent on migration to meet the various skills gaps and so on that we have here. After the pandemic, after two years of closed borders, there was a huge pent-up need and demand for yep. people to come here from offshore. And we've been trying to get the settings right. We've had a big influx of people from overseas. We've had a big outflow of New Zealanders going overseas as, as well. Um, but we need to work you know, with the business community and with others to make sure we get the balance right, to get right. the skilled uh, balance right. We need, uh, out of respect for uh, migrant families who are here now, who want other generations to come here and need the support, to make sure we you know, accommodate that need as well. So just getting the balance right is important, which is why I think it has become more of a talking point than perhaps has been the case in previous elections. So, um, so, so you would push across uh, much easier policies, and for in, including for student population and other migrants to come into New Zealand. Yeah, we want to make well. We certainly want to make it easier for employers. Employers know what the skill gaps they've got. Easier, easier for them to recruit. Right. That said, we do want to emphasise um, more highly skilled um, uh, workers to come here. You know, we still got to make sure that for our domestic population, we're doing the training and investing in people and getting our people into work. But you know, you look at areas like IT, for example. We've always re relied on people coming from right. overseas. The health sector, in particular, has always been dependent on people coming from overseas, and we still need to maintain that. Um, and for families who are here, we know they want to reconnect with parents, grandparents and others, um, or bring brothers and sisters and be, be part of those broader family units. 
Um, and we know there are cultural issues that uh, are at play as well. So um, culturally arranged marriages, we know that's important. And getting our settings right to reflect that is, is also important. Thanks for that, Andrew. Coming to a more important subject as it was because of what's going on now in the Middle East. Mm. You remember two years ago when we attended the Hui in Christchurch. Mm. Uh, at that time, the chief of uh, NZSIS, Rebecca, mm. she made a statement that New Zealand is not free from extremism. It's not free from terrorism and it may not come through guns and whatever. And it was proved somewhat less than a year later what happened in Lynn Mall. Mm. How tense is the situation now? Is there something that, uh, because we noticed that the New Zealand government has not been very strong uh, with what's happened in, with Hamas in uh, Israel, the attack. Uh, what is the position? What is it that you can tell us about this situation? Um, yeah, I th th think the Prime Minister was very clear in his statement on Sunday about condemning uh, the actions of Hamas and taking it, you know, uh, uh, taking civilians hostage, killing and attacking civilians, you know, taking civilians out of their villages and taking them into the Gaza Strip. Um, we condemn that and we support you know, the, the messages of condemnation right. from our like-minded partners and from the UN now. Um, so that does concern us. I think you know, there will be questions, I think, about how it is that right. uh, either local intelligence agencies or some of the partners they rely on didn't pick up what was happening. Um, look, in terms of New Zealand's situation, the, we are not immune from those threats. And so um, for our GCSB and our SIS, a lot of their effort is um, still in counter-terrorism and counter-extremism. Um, probably the biggest effort goes actually into countering foreign interference and foreign influence, but counter-terrorism and counter-extremism isn't far behind in terms of the effort that we make. Um, online... Uh, influences online messages on terrorism and extremism are never very far away. So um, we have to stay alert to those. Okay, we take, we take that. You're also the Minister for Royal Commission of Inquiry into the mosque attacks. Is there anything left in that area of operation um, as a minister in charge? Um, there still is. I mean, we haven't done the, uh, you know, we, we committed to looking at the, the, the hate speech laws and hate crime laws at the moment. So we've, we've referred a lot of that off to the Law Commission, so we're hoping they'll complete their work um, in the next year or so. So that work is still to be completed. In terms of the police and um, them recording uh, hate-motivated crimes, they've now got, um, are getting their platform in place, so we've got there's a, they've got a budget and a work program to work to on that. Um, in terms of having a public service, for example, that is more reflective of the New Zealand population and providing opportunities, not just for entry to the public service for um, a variety of ethnic communities, but moving up through the hierarchy, that those opportunities are there as well. So that work is well in train. I think the last remaining thing, um, significant thing, is the national security reform. Yep. Um, so we now have we have a set of commitments, I think, that we've made about that, but the um, but the nuts and bolts work still has to be done. Um, I would like that to have been completed by now, but that just hasn't proved possible with the disruptions that we've had. But I certainly remain committed to seeing that through, and I think now there is um, there's a broad consensus about the need for the change that the Royal Commission talked about and to putting that in place. So that would be one of the uncompleted tasks mm. for the the Labour government. Yeah. Coming back to uh, electioneering and the opinion polls and all that's going around. 
many people within the Labour Party and your adversaries compare 2023 to 2014. Do you agree with that analysis? The situation that existed in 2014 when you were in opposition yeah. and there were um, a lot of ruffles etc mm -hmm. and the opinion polls what they are saying now um, how do you compare and see the chances of Labour Party getting back for the third term? Yeah. Oh, look, the reality is every, every election is, is different from the previous one because there are different set of circumstances. I think um, the circumstances that we go into this election on, uh, you know, even though we've been in government for six years, we've had probably some of the most challenging events and circumstances that we've had, I would say, since World War II. We've had a global pandemic that we had to respond to. Um, we've had the terrorist attack in Christchurch and, and the, uh, the subsequent one in Lynn Moore. We've had major weather events that have been hugely disruptive and damaging and destructive. All those things have required the government to sort of, um, for much of its work, kind of stop, attend to the, those particular needs right. and then go back to kind of try and get back to business as usual. So that's been disruptive. Um, I think uh, consequent on the pandemic, of course, the global economy has either slowed and then uh, in terms of getting restarted again, uh, we've seen global inflation that has affected us here. We've had to respond. So. We, in addition to sort of continuing to do what we do to keep people safe, keep people attached to their jobs, keep businesses supported through those difficult times, um, then also do what we can to alleviate the, the rapid rise in the cost of living through things like um, you know, the winter energy payment and uh, while we could, uh, taking away the, um, uh, the road fuel tax, um, it's since gone back on. But all those sorts of things, and lifting the minimum wage and doing those sorts of things to help put a bit more money in people's pockets. In the end, what we most need is to get business back going, the economy back going, get demand back going, um, which we're seeing, um, and then to manage out the inflation, which we're starting to see as well. So uh, we enter an election with all of those things in play. But I think also, I think people now seeing the choice of what is... What, what, is, what does the New Zealand of the future look like? We know we're a country right. that has an hugely underinvested in infrastructure and in things like health. Um, and, you know, we have to think about where our future wealth generation is going to come from. We have to think about um, socially uh, our responsibilities under the treaty and what that means as we come to terms with treaty settlements and the like. All of those things are probably, uh, we're debating in a way today that we didn't debate, you know, um, 10 years ago. So um, that's what makes this different. And there are some major choices that people have and that's what's right. been played out. As far as the treaty is concerned, I think it will always remain a, a, a challenging uh, issue for any government to tackle. But do you think you have been through, you have led the party through over the years and then um, you're a minister. Do you think the Labour Party, Labour government, which had a massive mandate in 2020, could have delivered better on hindsight. And are you seeking re-election, saying that, well, there's a lot more to do and we have to improve on what we've done? Is that the message you're putting it out now? Well, the, the message is that um, in, the, in the last six years and definitely in the last three years, you know, we, ha we had to deal with the pandemic, we had to keep people safe. 
we had to um, roll out a vaccination program. Right. And we might be a small country in terms of rolling out a vaccination program, but it's still a big deal for us as a country. Um, we've seen the recent um, report um, reported in the medical journal that said that uh, they, they calculate that we probably saved about 20,000 lives. Worldwide, we are seen as a country or the country that has probably done, was the most effective in preventing harm caused by um, the COVID virus. So, um, you know, we had to, to deal with those things. They were challenging, they were disruptive. And I know, and especially in Auckland, they'd have multiple lockdowns and it, it really disrupted people. We know that the, the impact that it had on people's mental health, we know the impact that it had, particularly for young people and the disruption it caused um, for you know adolescents at a very sensitive time in their lives. So we know the impact that had, and we had to recover from that. So, um, and we had a health system that was, although we predicted it from the worst things that we saw happening overseas, we also exposed a lot of the, the shortcomings in our health system through because of years of underinvestment. Right. And, and we don't make up that investment quickly, um, even though we've, we put more resources in. So, um, yeah, our, our case for re-election is we have had some amazing challenges that weren't predicted. We came in with a commitment to invest more in infrastructure, to build not just for the next, you know, three, six, nine right. years, but for the next 60 to 100 years. Um, and we still have more to do. You know, the, the water infrastructure argument that we've had is because we've had literally decades and decades of local government under, under investment in that, and water safety is at risk. Um, right. uh, we know that our health system had roughly a billion dollars on new buildings spent on it in the previous nine years. In the six years we've been in government, we've spent seven and a half billion dollars, and that still isn't enough. We still have more to do. So. We are we are committed to laying the foundations for long-term improvement, um, but we still have more to do. You must have seen the uh, statements made by Jacinda Ardern this morning. I haven't seen them, to be okay, honest. You no. haven't? Okay, so uh, she's somewhat on similar lines. She's made a statement from the US mm. about her tenure and what happened uh, and why she had to um, you know, say goodbye to politics and so on, but very similar to, to what you were saying. When you get back, if you get the, if people vote back, what are the major changes, five major changes that you would usher in as you'll be one of the senior most ministers? Uh, well, there's no guarantee because it's up to the Prime Minister of the day to, um, to select cabinet and, and your caucus of the day. But if, if I do have the privilege of sitting around the cabinet table, I expect what you can see is um, an ongoing commitment to improving our health system. We've made the specific commitment about... Oral what that does mean? What does it mean? You'll build more hospitals? More hospitals. So we've committed to... The Hawke's Bay Hospital is the next major hospital rebuild. Right. We've committed to that. What about but, Auckland? And, and well, there's a number of building projects underway in Auckland at the moment. I mean, the big challenge in health is staffing up. We still have a large number of vacancies. Tafata Order, I think, is starting to hit its stride as a big national organisation. It has a you need about fifteen hundred to two thousand doctors, Andrew. That's right. Yeah, and and uh, so they've now got a dedicated recruitment and immigration function that can also support the you know the non-public health system part of the health system as well. So so health and the investment, as I say, in dental health is very important. How much are you spending now? About ten billion on health. 
uh, it's over twenty billion dollars. Twenty billion, okay. Yeah, and that and and we've increased Pharmac budget by about fifty percent. They're now funding more treatments than ever before. But look, there are still un unfunded treatments that we need to, you know, lift up the priority list and those sorts of things as well. You already promised free dental care. Yes, free dental care for under thirty-year-olds or basic care. Um, we promised that. Um, we've we've got a we've legislated for the um, the affordable water reforms. We now have to put that in place and then get the investment going. Um, to get the you know, new inf infrastructure built right around the country, um, the you know the climate change challenge is still upon us. So, getting better transport solutions, particularly mass public transport, working with industry to reduce their carbon emissions. The we are part way through a, a government-wide program to reduce government organisations' carbon emissions. Um, as a defence minister, I know the defence right. uh, NZDF um, is a major carbon emitter, um, so we have to you know, work with them. On defence, uh, we've got the capability review underway at the moment. In the next 10 years, we have to reinvest in our naval fleet and our other capability. They will be big investments. We have to make investments that are reflective of the global situation as it is now and as we expect it to be in the next 15, 20, 30 years. Um, so those will be big decisions. So those will be decisions that um, will take a lot of time and effort and maturity, I would say, to get it right for New Zealand. Um, one last question on defence, Andrew. Does New Zealand aspire to be in, in blocks like Quad, uh, where regional security is involved? Would you like to be members of organisations like G20? To exp Although we are a small country, we always punch about ourselves. So if you, if you continue in that portfolio and if you come back, mm. do you have such aspirations as well? I, I don't, look, I don't expect we would be seeking any other uh, formal arrangements like that. And we, we jealously guard our um, independent foreign policy. We have good relations with a whole range of countries. We are already in things like the five power defence arrangement. Right. That includes Australia. Yeah, five eyes. Yeah. And there's five eyes as well. Um, we have uh, you know, Australia, our only formal ally, but we have strong relationships with a range of other partners. I don't see the need for us to formalise um, groupings like that. I think the strength we, we have is we bring an honest broker approach to our relationships and to the relationships with others. Um, we work with others. We are dependent on working with others for our own security. So we maintain those relationships. But we don't get drawn into things that um, uh, that that might head into directions that we can't predict. So that's why our independent foreign policy is so important that we reserve the right to make our judgments every step of the way. But understanding we have to continue to nurture those relationships and partnerships that we have at the moment that are so important to us. Okay. And your final statement uh, to the readers of Indian Muslim? Uh, look, I think the next uh, few days is, you know, New Zealand as a country has a big choice to make about which direction we take. We remain committed um, to a New Zealand that is fair um, and that understands its place in the world and is prepared to play its role, not only economically, but on the humanitarian sphere as well, because that is becoming increasingly important. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indian Newsling Podcast.